We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Hear all about the fight in the danger zone. Amazing stories, incredible music, terrible singing about military history. I'm Paul. Sit back and relax if you can. If you're driving, don't even think of changing stations. You know how dangerous it is to take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. In the Bible, Jesus gave us this quote that's often used today, even by unbelievers. In John 15:13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. Well, I think today's story tops that. Stay tuned and tell me what you think. Am I right? By October 1944, thousands of Americans were fighting inside Germany. Some of the German civilians remained haughty and arrogant, even though they were beaten. An officer from the 30th U.S. Infantry Division was summoned to one German household. The husband was a colonel in the Luftwaffe and was away still fighting in the war. The American officer arrived at the house. He was berated by the wife, Frau von Revetlau. She complained about the intrusions made on her privacy by refugees. People who had been forced to work in Germany as slave labour, now trying to walk back home. Such a thing would not have been tolerated had this Frau been in an area overrun by the Russians. The American soldiers' attitude to the civilians around them changed now that they were in German territory. One soldier wrote to his wife, One advantage of being in Germany is that one can liberate any article which he needs. Since you spoke of wanting a sewing machine, there are lots of them to be liberated here. Washing machines are a little harder to liberate, but we have hopes of getting one soon. Many soldiers showed pity to the individual German civilians. That was the decent Christian values that England and America were fighting for. Those values would have been betrayed if they had behaved like the Russians or the Germans. Stephen Ambrose, author of the book Band of Brothers, on which the TV series of that name was based, wrote another book called The Victors, The Men of World War II, in that he reported on how the American soldiers responded to these strange people of Europe and the Middle East that they met during the war. He said that they felt that the Arabs were despicable, lying, stealing, dirty, awful, without a redeeming feature. The Italians were lying, stealing, dirty, wonderful, with many redeeming features, but never to be trusted. The rural French were sullen, slow and ungrateful, while the Parisians were rapacious, cunning indifferent to whether they were cheating Germans or Americans. The British people were brave, resourceful, quaint, reserved, dull. 
The Dutch were regarded as simply wonderful in every way, but the average GI never was in Holland, only American elite airborne troops. But of all the people that the Americans came across, the nationality that the average GI found that he liked best, identified most closely with, enjoyed being with, were the Germans. He found them clean, hard-working, disciplined, educated, middle-class in their tastes and lifestyles. Many GIs noted that so far as they could tell, the only people in the world who regarded a flush toilet and soft white toilet paper as a necessity were the Germans and the Americans. The Germans seemed to many soldiers as just like us. One of the Americans entering Germany was in fact sort of coming home. 25 years before, Werner Kleeman had lived in Bavaria. As a Jew, he'd ended up for a few months in Dachau, concentration camp. By some miracle, he got a passport to England and was able to leave Dachau. Sometime later, he got accepted into America. And now, he was back in his own territory, fighting against the Nazis. One of his colleagues was a 24-year-old American kid by the name of J.D. Salinger. He'd make his mark on the world in 1951 when his novel, The Catcher in the Rye, was published. Salinger had met Ernst Hemingway, who he called by his nickname, Papa, when the Allies liberated Paris. They'd become friends. After the liberation of Paris, General Eisenhower's chief of staff declared that militarily the war in Europe was over. That proved to be an extremely optimistic assessment. The German army was very far from finished, as the Allies were shortly about to find out. Salinger's unit was thrown into the fighting for the Hürtgen Forest. I'll talk in more detail about that fighting shortly. Among Salinger's senior officers was a man who Kleeman described as being a heavy drinker and cruel to his troops. Salinger had once been ordered by this man to stay in a frozen foxhole, even though he was not properly clothed or provisioned for it. Kleeman stuck a blanket and one of many pairs of socks that Salinger's mother kept sending him to Salinger in his icy foxhole, he probably wouldn't have survived the night otherwise. One night, while Salinger and Kleeman were in the Hurtgen Forest, Salinger asked Kleeman if he'd like to meet the famous writer Ernst Hemingway, Papa. Salinger knew that Hemingway, a war correspondent, was temporarily shacked up in a place just one and a half kilometres from where they were. Off they headed, and it was true, Hemingway was there. Champagne was drunk from aluminium canteen cups, and then after a couple of hours, Salinger and Kleeman returned to their unit. Near the war's end on 22 April 1945, Salinger, with his unit, entered Dachau concentration camp, where Kleeman had been an inmate some years before. The guard had tried to hide their crimes by burning the bodies of the Jews and the other prisoners there. Salinger told his daughter Margaret, you'll never really get the smell of burning flesh out of your nose entirely. 
no matter how long you live. Salinger's experiences in the war left him with what would be today called post-traumatic stress disorder. A huge contributor to this was the time he served in the savage, merciless fighting in the Hurtgen Forest. There are some battles that make history. One battle like that was the Battle of Agincourt, where Henry V won an incredible victory over the French. Shakespeare has Henry V deliver this incredible speech to his men on the eve of that battle. Here it is, read by Sir Richard Burton. This story shall the good man teach his son, and Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world. But we, in it, shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England, now abed, shall think themselves a curse they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap, whilst any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's day! That was a rousing speech, but not all battles are like that. The one I'm talking about today in the Hutkin Forest was certainly not like that. It was a battle that the Americans in World War II brought to the Germans inside the dark, dense, tangled mess that is known as the Hurtgen Forest on the border of Germany. The forest was defended by very poor-grade troops, the 275th Infantry Division, which was later reinforced by men from the 116th Panzer Division. Originally, the 275th Infantry Division posed no threat to the flanks of the American forces, which could have ignored it and advanced on either side of this position free of any real danger. It's still unfathomable to this day why the Americans attacked there at all. The famous American military historian Russell Wagley wrote of this battle, the most likely way to make the Hurtgen a menace to the American army was to send American troops attacking into its depths. An army that depends for superiority on its mobility, firepower and technology should never voluntarily give battle where these assets are at a discount. The Hurtgen forest was surely such a place. The terrain suited the Germans perfectly. General Courtney Hodges kept reinforcing the failure of the Americans in this pointless fight. The American attacks had worried the Germans, and they'd reinforced their position. An American officer fighting in the Hurtgen Forest said, We are taking three trees a day. They cost us about a hundred men apiece. Another officer commented that the trees were so dense that even when the sun shone, the day seemed grey. Men on both sides were chewed up and spat out very quickly. Amidst that sort of brutal carnage, no quarter could be expected and none given. But that wasn't the way it was 
late in the morning of Friday, 10 November 1944, in the brutal fighting in the Hürtgen Forest. Friedrich Langfeld was born on 29 November 1921 in Grunwald, a village in Lower Silesia. He was a lieutenant in the German army. He commanded the 2nd Company Fusilier Battalion of the 275th Infantry Division. That division had been fighting in the Hürtgen Forest from the beginning. Friedrich had served on the Russian front. He was repeatedly wounded in the course of commanding his unit. He was known as an officer who told his men to follow him and not go on. That had earned him the respect of his men. Ernest Hemingway wrote, Whoever survived Hürtgenwald, that's the Hürtgen Forest, must have had a guardian angel on each of his shoulders. During an action near a German minefield known as Wildsau, wild boar, a cry was heard from a wounded man in the middle of the minefield. It was an American. He'd stepped on a mine and now was injured, possibly dying. None of his buddies were nearby. They had all pulled back after some fighting earlier that day. The soldiers' piteous cries for help became more infrequent and weaker. The man was clearly dying unless he was given urgent medical attention. But in war, that is what you hope your enemy will do, right? Die. At first, Friedrich sent a messenger to give orders to his machine gun unit covering the minefield to hold their fire if any American paramedics came to the aid of this wounded man. By 10.30am, the man's cries for help continued and there was no sign of help from his buddies. Either his wombs would finish him or the bitter cold. Friedrich couldn't let this poor man just die. He was a fellow man, defenceless, wounded, probably dying. Friedrich ordered his unit's paramedic team to follow him, typical Friedrich, into the minefield to rescue this man. They worked their way slowly forward, cautiously. Perhaps there were Americans in the area, and he didn't want any of his men to be killed or wounded unnecessarily. Finally, they reached a position where they could see the wounded American. Not far to go now. Friedrich stepped onto the road. The wounded man was just on the other side. But Friedrich had stepped onto one of the German S-mines, an anti-personnel mine. It exploded. It blew two deep holes into his back. His comrades looked on in horror. They abandoned their work of rescuing the American. They carried Friedrich back to the forward medical station at Lucas Mill. His wombs were dressed and he was moved back to a field hospital at Freutsheim. That night, Friedrich succumbed to his wombs and died. He was just two weeks shy of his 24th birthday. Friedrich is the only German soldier who had a monument erected in his memory and paid for 
by the Americans, by members of the 22nd Infantry Regiment of the US Army on 7 October 1994. On the monument is an inscription that reads, No man hath greater love than he who layeth down his life for his enemy. In memory of Lieutenant Friedrich Langfeld, here in Hurtgen Forest, on November 12, 1944, Lieutenant Langfield, a German officer, gave his life while trying to save the life of an American soldier lying severely wounded in the Wildsau minefield and appealing for medical aid. Placed at this site on October 7, 1994, the 22nd United States Infantry Society, World War II. Deeds, not words. The fate of the wounded American soldier is not known. It's assumed that he died from his wounds before he was rescued. So at the beginning of the program, I quoted the words of Jesus, saying, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. I think Jesus would agree that laying down your life for your enemy is something even greater. Thanks for joining me, Paul, in this Danger Zone program. Join me again next time for another fascinating tale.